नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चारवक पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा सो टुडे वी हैव एन इंटरेस्टिंग डिस्कशन वी आर गोइंग टू टॉक अबाउट नॉट खालिस्तान इन इंडिया टुडेस फोकस इज गोइंग टू बी खालिस्तान इन द वेस्ट एंड एंड इट्स बीन क्वाइट एन इंटरेस्टिंग जर्नी फॉर खालिस्तान एंड खालिस्तानीज व्हेन इट कम्स टू द वेस्टर्न वर्ल्ड you know it all started with the british khalistanis taking all the accolades and then the canadians were like give me my accolades and then the canadians took over for a while and then recently we've had some action down under in australia so i was like you know let me get the canadians and the australians together and i reached out to both sarah gates and uh, terry milevsky and i was like you guys have to hop in together and let's talk about it and both of them were kind enough to agree so sarah terry welcome namaste <laughs> so so terry let's start yes. you just you just tweeted this out uh so you just tweeted an image out of a recent poster by sfj uh which has uh, which says quote besieged the terror houses now what are these terror houses terry well yeah it's interesting uh, that uh, we happened to be meeting this morning because overnight Uh, this is kind of the second wave of this poster campaign uh, organized by uh, Sikhs for Justice, uh, which uh, is based on the idea, as nutty as it may seem, uh, that uh, Indian diplomats around the world, and particularly in the West, in the UK, uh, in the US, in Canada, in Australia, I think they're including Portugal this time, um, that all of these senior Indian diplomats, high commissioners, and uh, consuls general uh, that they are all guilty of killing uh, a prominent khalistani in british columbia by the name of hardeep nijar of whom nobody had ever heard until uh, he was uh, killed on june 18th uh, i believe in a sort of gangland hit in the parking lot of the gurdwara of which he was the president the guru nanak guru nanak temple uh, in surrey and uh, ever since uh, it seems to have be, become an article of faith it's kind of like an old time religion where you you got to believe uh and the article of faith is that india did it that this man wasn't killed as it appears uh to other uh, to outside observers uh, in a sort of gangland war between prominent uh, figures in the uh community in british columbia no it had to be uh, something geopolitical uh, it had to be a hit by modi's murderers allegedly sent out uh, uh, death squads of diplomats deadly diplomats i call them uh, who were uh, sent out to assassinate uh, on foreign soil uh, enemies uh, of uh, the state of india uh, this is a uh, uh, to call this theory fantastic is literally i mean it, it is a fantasy it, it doesn't make any kind of sense as though the high commissioner in melbourne is going to fly 26,000 kilometers round trip to Surrey, British Columbia to help kill along with a mob of his fellow diplomats uh, this rather obscure figure at a gurdwara in BC. So uh, they they took off from that with the first wave of this poster campaign. Now they've got new posters urging people to turn out uh seeks to turn out on August 15th as of course that's uh India's Independence Day. Uh, to and I quote besiege the terror houses the terror houses being uh, indian missions embassies and consulates around the world uh, and uh, 
the last time they tried this, they did get some uh, rallies of, I would say, modest size, uh, with uh, you know a few scuffles with pro-India counter demonstrators uh, at Vancouver, Toronto. Uh, there were a couple of demonstrations in uh, Australia, Melbourne included, I believe. Sarah can correct me if I'm wrong. And um, this time, uh, they're they're trying it. They're trying to gin up as much energy as they can to propel that what they want to do with the energy that they generate, they hope, is, is propel more interest in the referendum campaign that they're running to try to get uh, 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 to show the world that there is enthusiasm, at least in the diaspora, for the, an independent Sikh state, even if there is at the moment uh, almost no enthusiasm for it in Punjab itself, where 90% of the world's Sikhs live. Fair enough. So, Sarah, how are things in Australia? And and when did the Australians start getting a whiff of what Khalistan is? Uh, well, they've been here since at least 2016. I found, uh, you know, one of the first protest um, photographs with Sikhs for Justice just sort of painted on a banner. So it was very informal at that time. We really started to notice um, at the end of 2020 and then it started to pick up in 2021. So we've had some uh, I guess what the media have called scuffles, and they've obviously accused Hindus of being to blame, and they've they've kept the Khalistan issue out of the media uh, initially, but it was wasn't um, going to last very long because if you shout Khalistan Zindabad uh, in front of cameras, then eventually the media are going to realise. So they tried to suppress the fact that they were here, and they did that by calling people racist uh, and anti-Sikh uh, if they happened to call these groups, Khalistanis. So that's how it sort of picked up. And, you know, it wasn't um, until just before the referendum in January uh, that they started to uh, uh, admit that they were part of Sex for Justice. So we've had Sex for Justice members here uh, in the country running these referendums. And just strangely, uh, as soon as they turn up back in Canada, this Nijar is shot. So it's a, quite a bizarre little circumstance. So they were here and then they were there and then Nijar was shot. So I don't know if there's any relationship between that, that and um, the incident, but there certainly was rising tension uh, immediately as soon as they returned because the organisers are the ones that uh, shout the slogans into the microphones and rally the people. They get into the WhatsApp groups, they get into the Gurudwaras and they... Uh, organise uh, the collective uh, like that. So they use WhatsApp groups through Gurudwara communication channels and basically they have the Gurudwaras facilitate their activity in the country. So uh, it was, they were trying to distance themselves from it for as long as possible. But if you put up banners outside your Gurudwara, you know, saying um, stop Hindu fascists and the Hindus, you know, the Hindus are going to notice. So that's what happened. And now it's all through the media. And now everybody knows. So, yeah, it's a bit of an odd circumstance because they were in denial for such a long time and they really did try and, uh, I think, uh, intimidate journalists and uh, anyone who spoke up about the Khalistan issue here, calling them racists and anti-Sikh. And we said, no, it's not anti-Sikh uh, and it's not racist to call out Khalistan, which is extremist. So that's that's how it kind of progressed and now it's... There's been so many incidents of violence in New Zealand and in Australia. It's really not a good scene. 
so so when you talk about violence and um, you talk about roughing journalists up now i remember sarah following you on social media you were in one of those uh, uh, rallies or the referendums or whatever the khalistanis conduct yeah. so so what was your experience i know there were there were journalists in canada who have been you know j- uh, journalists in canada who have been roughed up beaten up i mean uh, someone i look up to personally in the late 80s uh, balraj deol uh he was almost beaten to death and, and then that life changing moment you know led him to start right uh, for years uh, uh but i wanted to focus on the, on this roughing journalists up bit so what exactly happens there well it's a bit it's a bit hard for them to really rough us up uh they they did intimidate me i was at three different in, uh events so i was at the brisbane consulate when they um did their little protest out the front and they had someone actually cross the street and come up behind me but because we had uh you know some pretty staunch police on guard they they intervened and stood between me and that person who'd come across the street specifically there was people who came across the street when i was at the referendum and all i was doing was documenting the police were everywhere and they're fully armed so i mean they really were prepared and um they still came up and uh, made insulting comments and they stood very close to us and filmed us and even the fellow from Pakistan who came out here from GOTV to do the propaganda he was standing right ne- near me and the police didn't know who he was which makes me wonder if he had uh, a media uh license but he was you know he he didn't um he didn't intimidate us but uh Jatath has also been intimidated down in Melbourne and i attended a you know a festival down a vaisakhi mela festival where there was a protest out the front down in adelaide and uh yeah the organizers there were intimidating toward me as well they came right up to me uh you know within centimeters and told me that i couldn't film them which wasn't true because i could they were out in the public so yeah that's what they're like they intimidate you and they also bully you on social media they bully you through politicians that they're close to um they bully you through the media they 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 have um media who are well groomed and manipulated into thinking that they are a, a victimized minority and a, you know oppressed and believing the hype around their propaganda so yeah they are really quite um intimidating but terry can tell you more about that because i think he's copped the uh blunt end of that stick quite a lot Yeah. I was reading about that today Terry tell us about your uh intimidation legal action and such. Yeah they they they, they do pester you uh, legally we're much more refined here in Canada we 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 send lawsuits not men with sticks uh, at least nowadays. Uh Kushaw's right uh the the beating of Balraj they all started this uh uh was sort of watershed moment. when uh, he committed the offense of um uh, this is way back in 1985 around the time of the air india bombing when uh, uh balraj who's a good friend um started up a sort of a hindu sikh forum get together give peace a chance was their motto they were in favor of the longawal agreement i'll spare you the history but uh, he became an irreverent militant because he was preaching give peace a chance and uh, so after he did that he came home one night and was met in his parking lot by five young men punks really uh, street thugs 
with uh, baseball bats and hockey sticks, a nice Canadian touch, uh, and uh, beat him nearly to death, uh, left him one only one limb that was unbroken, uh, his head beaten in, his fingers broken, uh, and he was lucky that that happened late at night to be a woman who came through the uh, the lobby uh, of uh, the parking lot to his his uh, apartment building and called the police and uh, and called the ambulance. Otherwise, he might very well have died. Uh, there was also, of course, the beating of Ujol Assange, the most successful Sikh politician in Canada, certainly, uh, ever. Uh, he rose to become the uh, what in India you would call the, the chief minister or the premier, as we call it, of British Columbia, uh, and also uh, a federal cabinet minister uh, in the national government. Uh, and uh, he was also uh, beaten senseless by a man with an iron bar for the same crime of preaching peace uh, and uh, trying to stop the violence of the Khalistani movement at the time, again, early 80s. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it progressed through the time of after the Air India bombing of 1985 to, to a point where uh, all the witnesses were then under threat and severe threat. And by severe, I mean the crucial witness at the Air India trial never testified because he's dead. His name is Tara Singh Hare. He was the publisher of a, a very successful a Punjabi language newspaper uh, called the Indo-Canadian Times. He was very well known, he had, uh, correspondence uh, all over the world, and he uh, told the police that he, had, uh, he, he knew way too much about the Air India bombing. In a nutshell, he had heard a confession uh, with one of the suspects, Ajab Singh Bagri, uh, describing how they got the bomb on the plane. Uh, he told the police at the risk to his life, his family begged him not to, to keep quiet. He said, no, 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 I'm going to go through with this. Yeah, he gave videotape statements, sworn statements, and uh, he was killed before he could testify. So we've had beatings, we've had a killing, uh, and um, uh, it, it hasn't ended. Uh, all of this sounds like ancient history now. Uh, what they do now is, is more lawfare than warfare. Um, 2007, they filed a lawsuit against uh, uh, the CBC and myself, uh, asking for $36 million in, uh, uh, in damages, or was it 136? Anyway, it was a very big number. I felt very important. Uh, but of course, it faded away. All these lawsuits all fade away to nothing. They're performative. That's mm -hmm. a good thing about these lawsuits. They're performative in the sense that the idea is to have a press conference in which you announce, we're going to sue the bastards, and we're asking for tons and tons of money, and we'll show them that. And then they, then nothing happens. They never, they don't pursue it. Uh, but they've got what they want. They've got the publicity saying, oh, yeah, that Malavsky, he's being sued. Yeah, right. Well, except that nothing ever happened, and no case has ever come to trial. So I'd rather have that than the death threats, which used to come under my door quite regularly. Uh, and um, uh, they are, uh, at, at the moment, there's a bit of a standoff, because obviously, if anything were to happen to any of us who give them a hard time, uh, it's pretty obvious who it might be. You know, the suspects, you, you wouldn't have to look very far <clears throat> to find them. Uh, so there's that. Uh, but they're also focused elsewhere. What they're trying to do is gin up a worldwide movement of certainly the next generation uh, of uh, would-be Khalistanis uh, in order to create interest in the referendum, uh, to get enough votes 
which if they're authenticated, which is, by the way, a very big if, because the Independent Commission, which is supposed, I think, Sarah, you've done some work on them, uh, the, the Independent Commission, which is supposed to validate the votes in this referendum, uh, has been has been silent, or if they haven't been silent, I haven't heard a word to say, okay, we've had the vote in Toronto, we've had the vote in Brampton, we've had a vote in Geneva, we've had voting in London, we've had voting in Melbourne, uh, Brisbane, I believe, uh, elsewhere in Australia, and uh, we are here to validate that these were fair votes, that people voted once, not multiple times, that their identities were checked, they really were six over the age of 18. This is a valid referendum, and we're here to certify it. But they haven't shown up. This was the idea when they announced it. They haven't shown up. If they have said anything, I haven't heard it. Uh, instead, I've heard from, for example, a friend in London who's a sick. Uh, he said, yeah, I got on my computer and I registered to vote. Uh, and they didn't check my ID, so I put in my name, Angelina Jolie. And the computer came back, bing, you're registered to vote. Congratulations. See you on the day. And uh, they were they so, were so, here, Terry. They did the, come here just to let you know. Did they? Uh, did, uh, did they validate them and certify the vote? I haven't heard anything. Or? I haven't heard anything from them, but they were seen in footage. Yeah, so they were here at the referendum. Yeah. So 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 that's anyway. At any rate, that is the point uh, of these latest efforts: the poster campaigns, the blaming India for killing this character Najjar in British Columbia. Uh, it's to create energy and grievance and anger uh, to propel uh, the movement at a time when, let's face it, in India, it's pretty much dead. So, Sarah, I have a question for you on this. When this poster comes out and... And I'll come to Terry too about this. There was this specific poster, the, the one before this. It said, kill India. Mm -hmm. it, it used these very specific words. Now, I'm a known freedom of speech absolutist. I believe in the American standard, Brandenburg versus Ohio, until and unless there is a call uh, for direct violence and there is a clear and imminent danger. Anything goes. I don't care if they burn the Indian flag. I know it hurts a lot of Indians when I say this. I don't care. It's part of free speech as far as I'm concerned. But how are they going to kill India without violence? Mm. Well, just using the, the language of killing. Uh, and, and in fact, that I didn't mention before when you talked about violence, but there was um, Hanek Singh in New Zealand who was stabbed 40 times and he was um, almost murdered by these fellows just a, a few years ago. We've had a, a young Hindu who was just brutally beaten with an iron bar. Um, just let me tell you the date. It was reported on the 14th of July, so that was not very long ago. Um, so we, we are seeing violence uh, and, you know, they're using these um, diplomats as a proxy. They're saying kill India. Well, it's a threat to their lives because they're being represented as the figureheads of India. So it's a very you know, short distance between the threat to kill India with the faces of these diplomats and to kill the diplomats. So I think it's really crazy if people aren't uh, adding those uh, threats up as actual death threats. Yeah, and so I, I think it's kind of crazy that they're allowing uh, more of these protests to continue. Uh, every single Republic Day, every single Independence Day, it ruins uh, any other Indian's 
right to celebrate these important days because they're always standing out the front doing things like stamping on Indian flags and burning them and they had a dog sitting on one. Like they just want to insult and inflame and incite tension. So it's it's really putting people's lives and safety at risk because they do other things like dox you. So if they see you at one of these events, if you oppose them, uh, they go around on social media, they find out who you are and they go around to your house, they stalk you, they intimidate you, they threaten you, they, they've they ruined people's lives, they've ruined people's businesses, they've gone in there and, you know, uh, caused uh, problems, dramas in their business, they've told people not to work for them and it just, you know, they're trying to ruin people's uh, visa and their opportunities here in Australia. So what we see on the surface, the violence that we see on the surface is only the very tip of the iceberg is a lot of psychological and coercive control that's going on in the community. So that's why people are scared to speak up. So what do I think when I see kill India? I think you're going to kill someone um, because you see them as a proxy for India and they're that psychotic that anyone who speaks against them is a proxy for India. And even me and Terry, you know, we're, we're paid. What are we? Where's our money, Terry? I want to know. Yeah, yeah. Have we, they we paid you yet? We rich. We wouldn't be hanging around with bums <laughs> like Cusso, man. Uh, I know. I mean, <laughs> we'd be uh, living on uh, lush islands uh, uh, in the uh, warm seas uh, if we were paid as much as we were allegedly paid. Uh, uh, but, they, they, you know, they can't really grasp why. Uh, I mean, it, it, this is astonishing, but I mean, this is the dynamic that's really going on is that they, that they can't conceive of why we might be outraged by threats against civilians and the actual killing of civilians in the case of the Khalistan movement, uh, well over 20 or 30,000 civilians, including hundreds of Canadians on a civilian airliner in 1985, Air India Flight 182. Uh, and they can't conceive of why we might be angry about that without being paid to be angry about that. And if you ask them, well, okay, you're upset about the killings of Sikhs, the massacres of many Sikhs in, in India in 1984. Are you being paid to be angry about that? They'd say you were crazy. Well, uh, they'd be outraged. Uh, they'd be horrified. But that is what yeah. they're doing uh, to, to you and me and many others. You know, if, if, if you speak up, if you're angry about that, Oh, well, you must be being paid. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. We should have a demonstration uh, and uh, we should uh, ho hold up signs saying, where's our money? <laughs> yep. No, but why, what what baffles me is that the, the, the true basis of a, a sensible society is... Um, is a society that functions on on good law and order, a functioning, robust delivery mechanism, Terry. Now, why yeah. would they allow certain elements that that make certain things? And and you know, you can literally draw the Khalistani element and the crime. You can draw parallels there. So, why are governments across the world not? taking this seriously like i have been shouting and screaming about this for such a long time you have but why don't the governments do well uh, th th there are many problems uh, uh, the the first of course is the, the political influence and power of uh, any organized movement of course this isn't unique to the khalistanis 
uh, there are all kinds of movements that are better at politics than others. Uh, for example, in Canada, we've got uh, almost a, a million uh, 850,000 or so uh, Hindus in the Indian uh, diaspora here in Canada, and about 770,000 Sikhs. So we actually have more Hindus than Sikhs yeah. in Canada uh, mm -hmm. by a small amount. Uh, but they're much less politically active, at least, or perhaps I should rephrase that, they're, they're much less loud. I mean, they, they, they vote, uh, but uh, they're, they're not as loud, they're not as disciplined, they're not as organized, they're not holding demonstrations, mm -hmm. uh, and they don't uh, bully uh, and cajole and uh, manipulate politicians in quite the way uh, that the Khalistanis do. Uh, and, and they've been very successful at it. I mean, let's give them credit. They have organized effectively. Uh, they have persuaded politicians that you need to sing our song, or at the very least, not call us out, not disagree with us, in order for us to bring our vote bank to the polls at election time. You want uh, 10,000 votes to come your way because we organize them for you, and we've got the people who are going to lick the envelopes and knock on the doors at election time, you, you want that? Well, you, you, better, you better play ball with our agenda. Uh, and uh, you better vote for our resolution, say, in the provincial legislature that uh, 1984 was a genocide, a, a state-directed genocide of the Sikhs and so on. So that's the first reason, is the political power. The second reason, though, is that um, politicians like to say, and they've been telling this to Indian politicians, uh, for many years now, that, hey, freedom of speech, we agree with Kushal, we, we, we agree that uh, uh, freedom of speech is an important value. Uh, we're not going to toss it out because it's diplomatically convenient, because the Indians might like it. There's nothing, there's nothing criminal in Canada or the UK or West Germany or Australia walking down the street, holding the flag and saying, Khalistan Zindabad. That's perfectly legal. And so, and, and so the, uh, the Indians don't like it. You say, well, you should lock them up, you should crack down, and it looks good on Indian TV back home for those politicians. Look how, be, how I'm being tough on the Canadians. I'm calling them out. Good for me, except it's completely ineffective because it isn't going to happen in any of the Western democracies. None of them are on the brink of abolishing freedom of speech. Uh, so it's a, it's a losing strategy currently. Much better would be, in my opinion, for what it's worth, if Indian politicians were a little more subtle, a little more sophisticated, and they instead took a different uh, approach of holding Canadian politicians' feet to the fire. For example, a uh, Canadian poli politician comes, knocks on, on your door in New Delhi and says, you know, uh, we want a free trade agreement, we want better access to the Indian market, you're a growing, booming, important country, we want a piece of the action. And what if that Indian politician says, gee, I'm so sorry, you know, I'm busy that day, I can't see you. Oh. Then the Canadian has to go back to his office and say, you know, we've got a problem. You know, they're not even letting us in the door in New Delhi now. You know, we've got to do something. And, and what's the price you have to pay? Well, you have to pay the price of saying, no, I'm not coming to your Vaisakhi parade to smile and wave and hustle for votes as the parade floats go by toting uh, gold tinsel embroidered portraits of the great mass murderers of the Khalistan movement, like uh, Tolvinda Palmar, the mastermind of the Air India bombing. I, I'm not going to come to your Vaisakhi parade. I'm going to publicly and explicitly denounce it. 
then maybe the Indians might let me in the door to negotiate a free trade agreement. So you know what I'm getting at? It, it, it works, and it, it's a pressure tactic, uh, and it works much more effectively than banging the table and say, you Canadians should abolish freedom of speech and lock people up for saying Khalistan Zindabad. Yeah, but I just have uh, one question here. I understand. Look, begrudgingly, I know Indians don't like it. I'll repeat it again. They can burn the Indian flag in Canada or Australia or America. I don't care. They can burn it. They can slap chappals. Uh, you know, they they hit it with uh, shoes and slippers, uh, the Indian flag. They were doing it in the recent parade in Toronto too. Indians just have to get used to that idea. That's not... What was in bad taste? And I, I want to continue this. And Sarah, I'll come to you first because at the end of the day, the Western nations benefit a lot more with trade with if they do trade with India. Now, I know the, uh, the Canadian trade deal, Terry, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I think India and Canada are in the process of finally negotiating the trade agreement. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah, and, it's a work in progress. Yes. Yeah. It's a work in progress. Now, I can assure you, Terry, these shenanigans are creating problems in that agreement. So why would the Canadian government, and for that matter, Sarah, has this, uh, you know, the sense of uh, reality kind of snuck into the Aussie government? Because I'll tell you, it, it did come into the British government. They realized that, it, because India literally was just stopped, uh, stopped signing the trade agreement with UK. The British government needs that trade agreement with India desperately because they did Brexit and now their economy is in whatever state it is and they need that trade with India. India is a rising economy. India has a huge market and it will benefit especially these three countries. Maybe not America, but definitely Canada, Australia and the United Kingdom benefit immensely with trade agreements with India. So. Sarah, what do politicians see in, in Australia? I I know what's happening in Canada, but the Aussie political landscape is kind of a, a, is a mystery for all of us. So at the top of government, um, and I'm sorry about my, uh, my camera, um, at the top of government, they're expressing concern and they've made sort of what, what the closest to condemnation statements that that they'll give. Uh, they've, they've condemned the attacks on the temples. Um, they've condemned violence on the streets, but they're not willing to condemn what they are unfortunately categorising uh, as, you know, some kind of protest, political protest movement. Uh, and I think the problem there is that they're not willing to accept that this has come with violent elements, which are not in fact protected by these religious human rights um, principles. So in Australia, uh, as soon as you switch into any acts of violence, which I think should include these threatening banners and this uh, hateful uh, propaganda that's spread through the community, I think all of this needs to be combined into a single picture. Uh, and this movement needs to be understood as an extremist movement. So that's where we're sort of stuck is that the government are reluctant to name it what it is. Uh, they've only got, uh, you know, a certain criteria that they can uh, apply when it comes to extremism. They can ban things, but that usually takes time. Uh, and so what have they got to work with? They can use diplomacy and they have publicly spoken about it. If you read, there was a recent um, interview with Barry O'Farrell, the uh, 
ex-High Commissioner of Australia to India, and he had a brilliant, um, very uh, detailed interview uh, with Indian Link explaining uh, how he, you know, we all find this appalling. So I'm sure that there is uh, some kind of hard uh, conversation going on uh, behind the scenes because I think that our governments generally agree that this is unacceptable. But you've got these little, you know, very small-time politicians who are supporting them because they're trying to cover uh, for them. There's some kind of, like, you know, Kashmir, Khalistan uh, movement that's going on among the left, uh, which is very upsetting, uh, where they're, they're doing all kinds of things that we would find unacceptable were, were they well known to the public, but because they're not, they can kind of hide behind the fact that, that the rest of Australia don't really know what they're up to. Supporting movements like Yasin Malik, um, this is just madness, um, you know, but LET's, you know, LET's banned in Australia, but you've got to prove, you know, these, these connections. And because these Khalistan movements aren't banned, there's only so much they can do. But the Khalistan movements need to pull you know, pull their socks up if they want to exercise their democratic rights and act in a democratic way. All this bullying and violence is extremism and doesn't fit the criteria of what we would call a peaceful protest. It's not satyagraha. You know, there is a line and I think that we need to be firm uh, and hold them to that line. Otherwise, we need to name it what it is, which is an extremist movement. Can I, can I add to that? Sure. Yes, um, please. The 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 uh, it, it it sounds right to say that you know, we've got to have a conversation about this and, and and in particular where the line that she describes should be drawn, because we're not as I said earlier we're not going to give up on freedom of speech but it seems to me obvious as a practical matter that these latest posters both ways of posters cross that line and it yeah. where where. However you want to define the line, it crosses the line. When you paint a target on the backs of named diplomats, you are deliberately endangering them. I mean, there's no reason why they're on those posters at all if you're not saying, these are the killers, these are the terrorists, I quote, that, that, that you should take reprisal. These people should be punished. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's clear to me that, uh, for example, in Canada, we have uh, we have uh, freedom of expression, but we have a hate speech law. Now, it's not very up to date. It's not very well written. It speaks of, you know, hate against groups. Well, uh, so that if you're if you're a lone individual who is being targeted, uh, that law wouldn't cover you. In this case, though, it would because you have an identifiable group, Indian diplomats that are being targeted. And there's no way you could persuade me that you can't find a prosecutor who would take that to court and say, look, here, does that mean you're, you're calling them terrorists? You're calling them killers? Of course you're painting a target on the back. That crosses the line into hate speech. But so far, we haven't really explored that possibility in Canada. We're just hoping this goes away. We're just trying to look the other way. We're allowing these demonstrations to continue. We're allowing these posters to be propagated and we're taking no action against it at all. I think that's, an, that's a mistake. I think that we have to say something about the hate crime uh, law. We have to update it. And all Western countries need to be thinking about this because 
as we have seen in the last few weeks, this is their this is their technique. They try a little, see if they get away with it. Look around. Yeah, okay. Nobody said boo. Now let's try it again. Let's this time let's call them terrorists and let let's have big posters of the high commissioner and the consul general and let's extend the number of countries and uh, they they got to be pulled back somehow. And I think that when they cross into hate crimes, that's when uh, if the law doesn't allow governments to intervene, then it should be rewritten so that it does. I'm going to say something very uncomfortable, and maybe both of you might dis disagree with me on this. But I think the Western governments don't care because the the attack perimeter of the Khalistanis are not people who affect the larger Canadian public. I, I don't know how else to say this. I, I, I'm saying this with full responsibility. Uh, it's random people. Usually, they don't understand the subtleties. They think, oh, they're just saying kill India, but they're Indians, so they're clearly not going to kill their own people. And they're taking it lightly. Um, this, this movement has become much more than just, uh, you know, slogans. As Terry rightfully said, you know, the, the, the most horrendous uh, terrorist attack in the history of Canada is committed by these people. You are all the time, you're constantly involved. Listen, I, and this is me before somebody says, I'm Punjabi, I'm brown. Get out of here if you, you call me racist for saying this. You just have to do a search in Canada now. Look at gangs, look at drug peddling. The groups are, you can literally draw the line there. It's a menace. It's been growing. Uh, previously, people don't like to talk about these things, but there has to be an investigation and how much involvement of the Khalistan movement is there in the drug peddling business of Canada and America. Yes, I'm saying this. There needs to be an investigation into that and how Khalistan gets funded parallelly, indirectly, through multiple agencies, these things need to be done. But the reason they're not done is, A, unfortunately, people thought that vote bank politics was a thing of India or Pakistan or, or Bangladesh. Well, I have news for everyone. Vote bank politics is everywhere. And this is nothing but vote bank politics playing. And unfortunately, like it or not, there are left-leaning outlets in power, both in Canada and Australia. They think these people vote for them. They're not doing that. And, and 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 Sarah and Terry, you can push back, but I had to blurt it out because I just look around me and I see this happening. Well, you didn't use the R word for which uh, Sarah and I are grateful, the, um, uh, racism. Uh, yeah. But there is a certain sort of reverse, perverse kind of racism uh, in what has been happening. And I think we can talk about it and get away with it. Uh, and that, what I mean is that it's the tyranny of, of low expectations. You say, well, you know, these people in their in their interesting foreign costumes uh, and their wonderful music and their tasty food, um, they have they have you know different. Uh, they're different from us, and we have to cut them some slack. We have to have different rules for them. We don't want to be considered racist by telling them they can't. Uh, chant that song or, or, or worship as they please or in we can't interfere we should let them live their life as they please that's in our case 
the Canadian way. Um, and the problem, of course, is if you go too far down that road, you're including hate speech and death threats. And that, it seems to me, is what's happening. There is the tyranny of low expectations. We, we're not, we, we don't have the guts to say, no, no, it's not racist to say you can't paint targets on the backs of Indian diplomats. So, Sarah, what do you make of that? Well, I think we've got criteria that are pretty uh, clear in our Racial Discrimination Act about what you can and can't do. We've also got things like the e-safety regulations that tell you that you can and can't say certain things. Um, but we have a huge amount of freedom of expression that we are allowed to exercise, and that includes the right to push back against uh, Kushal Mera when he says things, <laughs> if we want to. <laughs> But we also have the right to say, look, this is enough. And if you want to burn a flag, then, you know, we, we too can play that dirty gutted game, but we won't. And I think that the, the Indian community, some of them have gone and stooped into that kind of incitement uh, domain, but they do have the freedom to do that. So what do I think about racism? I think that there are you know, fairly strict criteria. And when you're talking about things like human rights, which is the other field that comes into play, uh, they don't have the right to exercise violence, like I mentioned before. And they also don't have the right to target groups like they have been targeting. But the ambiguous, murky part of this is that who do you then uh, accuse? Do you go after, make a human rights complaint against Sikhs for justice? Well, they're an American group. Uh, how do you, uh, you know, how do you pinpoint, locate the responsibility uh, to push back against this? Because they are, in fact, um, you know, I, I think they're constraining uh, the freedom of Hindus in, in Australia and in Canada. They're intimidating the group. They're using people as proxies so that the entire group feel afraid uh, and they're afraid to come forward and give information to the authorities. So there are avenues that can be taken to... Um, uh, you know, uh, assert a, a group's rights and freedoms. Uh, but in terms of being accused of racism, well, they don't have race card to play here, unfortunately, because Khalistan, as our court ruled in the case of Vishal Jude, Khalistan is not a race. Khalistan is a political movement and um, they're not a protected political movement. So, you know, anyone can say what they like about Khalistan if they want. Um, I don't like to hear slogans like Khalistan Murdabad or, uh, you know, Hindustan Murdabad, I find them violent. And I think we had that problem in Leicester. Uh, and we've seen that violence can actually follow this type of incitement speech. And I don't really believe in burning flags either. I just, I don't believe in burning books. Just personally, I wouldn't do it um, because I know it's going to hurt people's feelings and some people can't control their behavior when their feelings get hurt so if you want to put yourself at risk go ahead and do these things and people are putting themselves at risk but they can't play the race card they're trying um but it failed in the case of Vishal Jude and even though the media misreported that and said that he was charged with a hate crime he never was he was never convicted with a hate crime but there were hate crimes there were 93Z charges um, and they weren't just against Hindus. So that hasn't been followed up. Um, you have to prove these things. You can you can call people whatever you like, really. They can call you a racist. You can call them a bigot and a racist as well. But, 
if you really want to take it further, aside from damaging people's reputations, which is a really low act, if you want to prove these things in court, then go ahead and um, take up the court process and make the complaints. File the reports. But all this smearing and slurring, I think nobody should be afraid of being called names um, unless they're willing to back it up and unless you're actually doing it. But you really need to know where the law stands when it comes to freedom of speech and it's not the same in Canada and Australia or the UK as it is in America. We don't have a First Amendment. So um, I'm not afraid of these things anymore because you, you you cry wolf a million times and nobody's going to believe you. You know, if they keep crying wolf like they have been, I'm the, I, I've, I've, I've done enough activism to, you know, show that I, I stand in solidarity against racism. So I've done a lot of work on that. So it's not like... They're going to make my white guilt activate. I've, I've got white guilt for other reasons, perhaps, but definitely not about this. They come here to Aboriginal land and they cause a ruckus. I'm sure that the Aboriginal community, if they knew what was going on, they wouldn't be happy. This is Aboriginal land. This isn't really even my land. So go speak to them. And they're trying their best to try and get them on side and make it an Indigenous movement. But once Aboriginal people switch on, they're not stupid. Um, talk about race. It's complex. And it's different yeah. in every culture, isn't it? Terry, you've yeah, got it, different issues it, there too. You've it, got native it, people. It is, uh, it, it is uh, complicated uh, if you're a Khalistani trying to make it into a race war. Uh, they're mm. often, you know, if, if, you, if you condemn terrorism, for example, they say, ah, you're a racist, you're an anti-Sikh bigot. Oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Uh, what about the 95% of Sikhs who want nothing to do with the Khalistan movement? I mean, the the same race as you. Khalistan isn't a race, as you pointed out. Uh, it's a political opinion. So they're trying to shift their ground because because that doesn't work. Uh, mm. They're the same race as the as the people who oppose them in India. Mm. It's it, because it's not working. They're trying to make it into a religious war. So uh, at, at least four or five, I can't keep up, uh, Hindu temples in and around uh, Toronto have been daubed with graffiti in the past few months, uh, Hindustan Murdabad. Uh, yep. and, and they're trying to make that this into a war now between Sikhs and Hindus, not most Sikhs disagree with Khalistan. Uh, another thing that they try to disguise. And so they say it's the Hindu government of India that is killing our people on Canadian soil and this sort of stuff. They always, they always take the opportunity to point out the different religion because, of course, they're the same race. And it, it, it's had mixed success uh, so far, to, to put it generously, because, I mean, it's, uh, the Hindus don't go out and paint graffiti on Sikh temples. So the religious war hasn't really broken out successfully. It's a, it, it's a one-way street so far. Uh, and we'll see if they have better luck in ginning up a religious war having failed to gin up a race war. Exactly. And 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 it's never going to pass the race war test. Uh, they play the race card to shut people like uh, Terry and Sarah up, but that's not going to work, which is, it's a ridiculous uh, ac- accusation. And bad ideas need to be called out. 
it doesn't matter which which part of uh, the world they come from or which color of the skin is propagating a bad idea i don't look at people from the color of the skin i just look at their ideas and i just call balls and strikes as they uh, to use a baseball terminology uh, for for north americans while australians <laughs> and indians would only understand cricket uh, <laughs> so uh uh it, it it's a very a very interesting discourse and and the problem with the khalistani discourses again these are my words not um, uh, not uh, of terry and sarah they're not very bright it's not very bright it's not like you know they're not the the sharpest uh, ones in the block it it's it's ridiculous it it lie it 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 relies on fear and intimidation if you are not scared of the khalistani then they don't know what to do and that's when these things come but my worry is that when you say things like kill india when you put uh diplomats on the posters and you put put targets on their back then you take out parades where you're showing indira gandhi being assassinated in canada these are lines of civility and decency that no civilized person will cross will cross you will not see these things you will not see a parade from the hindu side celebrating the violence that was perpetrated on the innocent sikh community after 1984 you will not see that because they themselves are disgusted by it because they look at sikhs as their own people how would i celebrate something that was done to my own people now i have problems with indira gandhi i have problems with many things indira gandhi did i mean i would highly recommend terry's book and many other books that were written to show how how badly 1984 and blue star was handled i mean there there's a former roy raw officer uh, sandhu saab so you know sandhu ji has written a brilliant book on the khalistan conspiracy and and you you should see how the government bossed it up but you cannot use that as a cudgel to beat people today and that's exactly what is ha- happening right now and yeah. and it's it's unpardonable and the, and it will di- and what what is happening right now is these governments in power unfortunately in canada uh, especially they look at this as oh if we do anything the sikhs won't vote for us it's literally come down to that and eventually what will happen it, it has already destroyed most of what indo canadian relations are there i i'm i'm being as honest as i can and and it's just going to ruin it further and 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 why would you not want jobs to be created in canada and india or does the canadian government think that hey the indians will sign the trade deal come what may without negotiating it's 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 disappointing and i wish you know the government in power in canada dealt with this in a much because look how india dealt with khalistan we don't have a problem in india it's all over in the west we don't have it in india and 90% there, of uh, sikhs live in india there is blatant cowardice let's face it Uh, let's be blunt there is blatant cowardice on the part particularly of the canadian government and i'm by the way i'm including not just the current liberal government but all parties in canada yes. remember that justin trudeau's minority government is propped up uh, by the votes of the left wing ndp party which is led by oh yes jagmeet singh uh, who is a khalistani sympathizer obviously Uh, and so th- th- they don't want to crack up the coalition and force the ndp members out and then precipitate an election when the polls are not looking too good for the liberals right now so there's a great deal of cowardice that governs uh, the behavior of canadian governments not just this one but the previous one and the one before that 
when it, when they when they deal with these issues, or rather, I should say, they don't deal with these issues. Mm. You mentioned, for example, this notorious case uh, just a few weeks ago now in Brampton, Ontario, uh, which is kind of uh, Punjab central in Ontario. They uh, ran a, a parade, a Martyrs Day parade, in which on a great big flat, flat, flatbed truck, they had this diorama, this reenactment, life-size figures to illustrate and to celebrate the assassination of Indira Gandhi at uh, October 31st, 1984, uh, with, 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 complete with uh, the two Sikh bodyguards who assassinated her with their weapons outstretched and her sari daubed with ketchup, plenty of it, to make sure that kids got the right idea. Oh, this was a wonderful thing, lots of blood, and we are proud of this. We're celebrating this. We're not ashamed of this. We're not hiding this. We're in your face. We think this is a great thing that happened here, this assassination. What happened? Well, uh, people like me went blah, blah, blah on, on the internet, uh, but nothing happened in terms of any kind of enforcement. So, you know what? We do have hate speech. This is incitement. This is the uh, applause for violence. This goes beyond uh, freedom of speech into hate speech. And we're going to do something about it. Uh, how about then when the, the parade comes up advertising that uh, Indian diplomats, we're going to go down to the Indian consulate and we're going to wave these posters saying this is a war zone now and you are killers and, and, and uh, we're going to take action, we're going to punish you, we're going to get our revenge, uh, and um, uh, nothing happens because uh, they've got a permit. They've got a permit from the municipality to do the march so that the police can arrange the traffic and, uh, and everything will go smoothly. But nobody says, wait a minute, um, we are at the city council of Toronto or you know, the, the surrounding areas where they started out and they, when they went downtown Toronto, nobody said, you know what, we don't have to give them a permit. You know, that's why they should be denied if they're whipping up hatred of Hindus, of the Indian government and so forth, and, the, and in particular, endangering, deliberately endangering the lives of Indian diplomats. Why do you have to give them a permit for the march? You know, you don't exactly. have to say, you know, the, the foreign minister of India, Mr. Jay Shankar, took it up with the foreign minister of Canada, Melanie Jolie, who had called these, uh, this behavior unacceptable. She, she termed the posters, calling them the diplomats killers, she called that unacceptable. What does unacceptable mean exactly? Well, in Canada, it means you go ahead and accept it. We did accept it. We called it unacceptable, and we did accept it, and no action was taken to, to, to even to lift the, the permit for the march. So that's, that's what I call cowardice. Uh, uh, you know, there's no polite way to, to put it. You know, why can't you stand up and say, we're not going to put up with it anymore? Answer, vote back politics, cowardice, ignorance. You think, well, you know, we don't, the Sikhs are such an, uh, an oppressed people in India. Uh, we've got to cut them some slack. You know, they, they believe that. They believe that. Sikhs are oppressed. They are flourishing in India. They are almost in every important walk of life in India. They are one of the most loved communities of India. They don't feel anything other than love in India. The Sikh gurus are not just their gurus. They're the gurus of every Indian. 
the the my hindu mind doesn't look at them as sikh gurus they're my gurus it, it's it's uh, the hindu mind doesn't function like that and and uh, like doesn't canada work for canadians how is this in canadian interest if india and canada have bad trade relations well that that that's the problem right now is that it is spilling over into into bad trade relations and it is making it difficult for canadian ministers i mean there is a, i'll give you a concrete example if i may in april of 2017 uh the then defense minister of canada a very important position uh in the trudeau government uh hajit sajjan uh made a trip to uh, india and uh, the then chief minister of punjab captain amarinder singh who i'm sure you remember uh he said well i'm not going to receive him just what i was talking about a moment ago so i'm not going to receive him because he's a khalistani sympathizer he can come and knock on my door but i'm busy that day sorry i'm not going to see him and there was a panic ran through the canadian high commission you know, you've got an important minister coming to India that they're refusing to see him. We better do something about this. But because Captain Amarinda held our feet to the fire. So in short order, the, the government of Canada caved and the minister, Haji Sajjan, caved and immediately put out a strong statement saying, I have to completely repudiate the Khalistan movement. I have no interest in an independent state. Don't worry. I'm okay. I'm not a Khalistani. So Captain Amarinda graciously accepted his victory. And when Sajjan came a second time, this time with Justin Trudeau in tow in 2018, guess what? Then he received Haji Sajjan and consented to have cameras rolling while he shook his hand. So my point is, it works if you hold their feet to the fire. They feel the heat and they respond. So that, to me, seems a much more uh, intelligent strategy for the Indian side than just banging the table and say you should abolish freedom of speech. Not going to happen. You're not going to win that way. It just, it, 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 wake up. Try another method because it may work just like it did on Haji Sajjan. Isn't it ironical, Sarah, that you know Canadian politicians, especially like Jagmeet Singh, who are all about democracy and liberalism in Canada, support the idea of a theocratic state carving out a theocratic state yeah. in India. And nobody calls them out other than Terry. The, the one man who interviewed Jagmeet. Jagmeet. But uh, so how do are Australian politicians aware of this? Because Australia is facing this in a much earlier version of this. Then in Canada, Sarah, I understand they're deeply entrenched. Like they have call centers and I'm not making this up. They have 24 by 7 call centers, the Khalistanis, that one statement from a Canadian politician and 500 calls go to that person's office. They're complaining, oh, you're you're being racist, blah, 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 blah. But are can Australian politicians, Sarah, being upgraded, updated, uh, counseled about uh, the shit show, if I was to use that word, they're going to be embracing in a in a decade or so? Well, uh, I do think that the, you know, the highest levels of security are very concerned about the social cohesion breakdown. Uh, we haven't seen this type of thing uh, happen like this, I mean, between two groups in this way at such a large scale. Uh, I haven't seen this in my lifetime. I've seen smaller scale 
disputes between gangs and groups, ethnic minority groups and gangs, that's happened. But this is something that, uh, and they're playing a very sort of like, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a dirty game, but they're putting a clean face on it. So they, they, they're, giving the, they're giving politicians the option to pick up the clean face and promote that while denouncing the dirty face. So they've got this two-sided thing going on. And um, I think that I would be concerned if I was in the government about upsetting them a lot because, yes, they're very organised and, yes, they do bully uh, and they can create a lot of drama and propaganda about people very quickly and they're not afraid to say things like that the, the, the Prime Minister of the country is a Hindu for stooge. So they don't really respect the authority of the police or the politicians at all. And I think everybody's sort of walking on eggshells as far as I'm concerned. I feel like that's what's happening. It's not that they don't care. Um, and also some of them are being misled because uh, I've spoken to some police people and one person said to me, um, do you know how many Sikhs there are in India? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, you know, there's, they are, there are Hindu extremists. And I was like, yeah, but all these Sikhs, they're all living in Punjab. They're, they're a major majority in Punjab and they've got, you know, all kinds of um, political engagement and civic, you know, engagement and activity going on there. It's not like they're not being marginalised um, from the political sphere or, you know, disenfranchised, what are, you, what are you saying? And he was absolutely convinced. And this was, this was a person that was um, at that time, and I don't know where they've gone now, but at that time that person was in the, um, the catchment of a Sikh temple that had a brawl inside the temple where they hacked each other up, basically. One person's hand was almost severed. So it's not that, you know, they don't know that there's violence going on, um, but for some reason they're enabling it and emboldening it, like Terry said, probably because they are cowards and they're a bit stupid, if you don't mind me saying. I just think that they're not reading because you don't have to look very far to find out what, what the back backstory is. You don't you go onto the Global Terror Database, you can see that they've committed hundreds of extremist and terror offences and you, you type in the word Hindu and you, you don't see anything like that there. So if they think that Hindus are the extremists, then they're brainwashed and that's a problem. So we do need to educate the system and tell them. But if it's just me and Terry and Kushal uh, and a few others, um, it's a hard slog because they're, they're making people's lives quite difficult. They'll make complaints to your boss, you know, they'll go to you your education uh, facility, they'll, you know, make complaints, they'll, they'll do whatever they possibly can to destroy your life. So people need to just, you know, step up and speak up, but in a safe way without putting their safety at risk, perhaps using yep. a, uh, being anonymous, for example, is a good idea, not putting your children's Photographs. I mean, I was going to say this earlier, and I'm just going to quickly um, put put it out. Everyone, please be careful if you're listening to this. Be careful if you've got your name, your face, your wife, your your house, your car, your your children, uh, your school, your workplace on your social media account, and you're making comments against Khalistan because they will come after you. They may come after you. They have done it to other people, and it's not a pretty picture and it could cost a lot. So be careful, everyone out there. Just take care.
Yeah, yeah. It, it it the the violence and intimidation. I mean, some of us like some like me are just used to it. I'm just used to the idea of uh, uh, hostility now in my life after a few years. Terry's used to the idea of hostility. Some of us are just uh, used to it. But yeah, I know there was a restaurant owner, uh, uh, Afghani Sikh in yeah. England, and the way they came after him, it was disgusting. It was disgusting. He's still, he's still suffering. The place yeah. wouldn't protect him. Yeah. It's 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 sad. It's sad. What and and like I said, Western politicians are going to really regret what they're doing to their societies if they don't crack down on this. And and my my biggest fear is by the time they do crack down on it, because there will be a crackdown every time there is a crackdown, the crackdown will be disproportionate. That's what saddens me even more, because that's how it always happens. The state does nothing, and then the state goes the whole hog, and then, as they say, shit hits the roof. But you know, uh, there weren't many questions. A lot of them were basically comments, and you know, comments like, you know, do people realize that a lot of this Khalistan movement right now is also used as a front to basically have criminal elements masquerading within the political movement like are authorities aware of that in australia and and canada any of you are aware that the authorities know that well, this they, is they, a they, they, criminal yeah, they, they sure are aware in uh, certainly in uh, british columbia and in ontario uh, the police have been aware for a long time uh, of the uh, intersection to pull it politely between uh, khalistani fervor and the criminal activity uh, and uh, the, the drug smuggling, smuggling, gun running, uh, these have become uh, the source of almost weekly gangland killings uh, in British Columbia now. Uh, and, 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 and that intersects with what brings us here today uh, in the case of, uh, of Hardeep Nijjar uh, and his uh, death on June the 18th in the parking lot of his Gurdwara, where he was left bleeding to death uh, the wheel of his truck. Uh, and the intersection is as follows. Uh, you may recall that uh, uh, almost exactly a year ago now, uh, one of the men who was acquitted at the Air India trial, the financier of the Baba Khalsa, a wealthy businessman by the name of Rapudamit Singh Malik, was assassinated in similar gangland style, a mafia style hit, two masked gunmen, getaway car is all lined up, professional job, shot him at the wheel of his car when he pulled into his parking lot at his office in the morning. So uh, Malik was rubbed out, eliminated suddenly, uh, and uh, there was immediately speculation, why would that be? It turned out uh, that the most likely scenario was not that he had uh, betrayed the Khalistan movement somehow, but rather that there was a, a, a dispute over money and prestige with rival up-and-coming members of the Sikh community. Uh, that's what it sounded like, although the police have only found the shooters, not the people with the motive and the money to pay the shooters. Fast forward now to this recent death of uh, Nijar, uh, the president of the Guru Nanak Temple, and it turns out that the Khalistanis want you to believe that this is some sort of geopolitical uh, uh, hit squad uh, by Narendra Modi, as I said earlier, sending out deadly diplomats to eliminate the enemies of India. Yeah, it, it, it's it's actually kind of uh, hilarious that um, 
people think that the indian government is uh, so capable of uh, doing these things while uh, you know all of us twiddle our thumbs and <laughs> kind of criticize the 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 indian government Apparently. constantly so it, it looks like it, it, it is really it may very well have been a sort of revenge killing uh, by mm. uh, the malik camp getting revenge for the elimination of malik by going after nija on the theory that nija was to blame for rubbing out malik and, and none of this has been proved. None of this is, it's all speculation, but the police have certainly pointedly not endorsed the prevailing idea uh, that is being put about by the Khalistanis that this was uh, India, a case of an Indian hit squad being sent by the government of India. So um, indeed it is out and we see this in the weeks ahead. If indeed it turns out that this was instead a squalid little local vendetta between gangsters. Uh, it's not very inspiring, is it, for the next generation of uh, would-be Khalistani revolutionaries mm. uh, to see that these are not men on white horses, men of destiny being cut down cruelly by, uh, by a fascist government, as they call it, uh, but instead was something much more sordid. Uh, but that gives you an idea of the, the, the close links between uh, crime and Khalistan, if I can put it that way. I mean, I mentioned Malik, just a very short anecdote, if you'll permit me. At the trial, uh, a young gangster testified at the Air India trial. A young gangster testified for the defense on behalf of Mr. Malik to give him an alibi on some testimony, which I won't go, to, go into right now. And he took the stand, this young fella, his name was Mindy Bandler, and he said, oh, yes, he was a full-time gangster, and he had made a very good living, thank you very much, in credit card fraud and drug smuggling. He was smuggling marijuana across the U.S. border, coming back with a load of cocaine. He'd done very well, making lots of money, and uh, Malik, he said, was a father figure to him, and when he quarreled with his own dad, Malik took him into his home and gave him a car as a present. And he returned the favor by throwing rocks through the windows of prosecution witnesses at the Air India trial. This was the kind of people they are. This was a glimpse of the life of a Khalistani potentate, a multimillionaire who was taking a, a young gangster into his house, using him to muscle prosecution witnesses, giving him a car, never any whiff of uh, any sense at all that there was anything wrong with being a gangster, that this was, was not a good career path. As it turned out, it wasn't a very good career path for young Mindy Banda, who uh, most recently uh, went to jail for second degree murder. It was sentenced to 10 years. I'm not quite sure how many he served in the end. He's out now, by the way. Uh, but this is the kind of milieu. This was the, uh, the environment in which the Khalistanis back in the day lived and still live. It's, uh, you don't have to look far to find crime going on among the people who say that they are uh, full-time, dedicated, committed Khalistanis. Yeah, and, and Sarah, I hope the Australian government, Australian policymakers, Australian think tanks are appraised, updated, informed about this menace because they can avoid this menace that Canada has created for itself. Or you just have to do this. Huh? Don't believe a word I'm saying. Go on YouTube, search Gurdwara Brawls North America 
and just mm-hmm. look at the sheer staggering number of gurdwara brawls that come up some of them very funny i will admit that but i mean i find it funny as a punjabi because you know what they're saying to each other it's just hilarious but some of them very violent and this is not good you don't see this in any other community but the khalistani controlled gurdwaras are violent they they are constantly engaging in violence and the problem is if the other other managing committee members are not strong enough i have seen cases of you know strong managing committee members in windsor ontario and some they just push the khalistanis out on many occasions it has happened but not every gurdwara can do it not every gurdwara has a spine so they keep taking over the gurdwaras one after the other they haven't taken every gurdwara over but they have taken many gurdwaras over and mm. and 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 i hope australia learns from the mistakes i don't know if they will i think terry's uh, made a comment that i want to go back to and that is that this gang culture is grooming young children to uh normalize violence and normalize extreme extreme violence like what we were seeing in the float with indira gandhi that was shocking i i, I doubt very much that they would have gone to that le- level here uh because that just would not have been tolerated uh so well it would have put a very dark stain on their reputations so um i'm concerned about the younger generation and i think there can be some intervention there uh if this can't be uh stopped because of whatever freedom of speech people are applying to it younger you know the young generation the kids that we're seeing in these videos some of them are toddlers some of them are young pre pre adolescents so they're very impressionable they're at a stage when their individuation is just starting to kick in and they're looking up to these men who you know they're glorifying violence they carry iron bars around obviously or they don't call out violence when they see it you know i know that there are many peaceful people within the set community very beautiful peaceful loving people they need to step up as well and guide these young uh, kids and if we need to then i mean there's always interventions that can happen so this, there's school a... there's school interventions and other kinds of child welfare interventions that can take place sorry this terry very uh, no sorry i don't mean to interrupt I, I just say this is a very important uh, part of this discussion which doesn't get enough attention in my view um i give you another very quick anecdote a friend of mine uh whose father was tarasing hayer the murdered publisher who was never testified at the air india trial because of his who was dead um his son dave hayer tells this story of encountering a young sick girl uh, he thinks he was uh, 12 13 years old uh who said to mr hayer why do you always call the air india bombers terrorists she said they're heroes they're yeah. heroes and he he was stunned and what do you mean i mean what about the what about the people they left behind what about their loved ones you know what about them and the young girl said oh i didn't think of that so somewhere she's learning that's what she's learning at home that's what she's learning at the gurdwara that is the problem is that the next generation has now risen up the air india bombers that generation they're old and gray now 
they seem to be occupied killing each other in gangland wars. Now the new generation is with us, and 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 they include that young girl who would now be probably in her twenties. And uh, it's a very exclusive uh, population. Um, for example, you could go on Facebook and look at some of the names of the next generation uh, of uh, Sikhs who are implicated in the Air India trial. And you go through page after page of all their friends. Mm -hmm. And you don't see and you don't see any non Sikhs. There's no white people. There's no Asians. There's no nobody else. It's all. Amrit Dari Sikhs. Uh, th those are the only people they seem to be friends with, well, at least on Facebook. I mean, maybe they've got lots of other friends, but it, you know, it, it's it's an exclusive environment. There was a CBC documentary uh, with Rapunzel Singh Malik going back to the older generation, where he described how he had set up the Sikh school, the Khalsa school in British Columbia, uh, which is his one of the things that made him rich, uh, and uh, how he it was very important to him. He said. Uh, that uh, sick kids have have an opportunity to be kept away from Western secular influences. He believed in apartheid for the six. Keep them away from these poisonous Western secular influences in the country to which I have willingly come as an immigrant in order to pursue uh, a success and to achieve it in great measure. Because when he came to his bail hearing, he said, don't worry about it. I'm worth $11 million. <laughs> so it's, it, it's not a laughing matter. Uh, I don't mean to make light of it, but what's happening to the new generation coming up, what they are learning at Khalistani-dominated Gurdwaras is an extremely worrying thing. And the stories we hear, like the one I just told, don't give you much confidence. They don't. Yep. Uh... They don't, and it's 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 actually very disappointing. And it's it's you know somebody in the live stream made a very pertinent point where they said that Khalistan happens in the West is because they go to places where they can claim this asylum card. It's it's true, it's true. And they found a a a, a chink in the armor, you know, and and they're gonna use it. And it's up to the governments of UK, Canada, and Australia to understand that. Listen, there's no Sikh genocide happening in India. Sikhs are very happy in India. They, they, they live very prosperous lives. They are in, in almost every important place in Indian society. You, you, you can't find this not happening. It's so normalized in India. So it's for the Western governments to figure out and, and, and you know, for the Western governments to ask this very simple question that why... You know, why hasn't the average Westerner figured this out that Khalistan is actually a theocratic state? How can a Westerner be comfortable with the idea of a theocratic state? It's insane. They they don't get it. And well, how can a Western Sikh feel comfortable with that? Because there's a I, I was saying I was asking the question, which should be asked, I believe, how many Khalistanis in the West? If they succeeded in their goal and there were to be a new independent called Khalistan, a new independent nation, how many of them would go and live there? And in what would probably be a theocracy client state of Pakistan. 
uh, I don't think very many would go and leave behind their very shiny new trucks and their good uh, standard of living in Canada. I don't, I, I don't see how many would go. And, uh, and another problem that I think a lot of people listening to this may not know, this, the myth of how Sikhs are undergoing what they call an ongoing genocide, to quote Gopatwan Singh Panoon, I think when he came to Australia to launch the referendum, he said that we're undergoing an ongoing genocide ever since the time of Indira Gandhi up to the present under Narendra Modi. And I don't think many people realize um, how in Punjab, where most of the world Sikhs still live, I mean 90% or more out of the 25 million or so Sikhs in the world, uh, that they consistently vote against any hint of separatism. In the last election, they got the separatists got two and a half percent of the vote and no seats, uh, except for the federal seat for Simranjit Singh Man. And in the election before they, that, they got 0.3 percent of the vote. And when Pew did a huge poll, a very professional poll, a very thorough, uh, with a very large sample size in Punjab, they asked Punjabi Sikhs, just the Sikhs, Punjabing, as you know, 58% Sikh, roughly. They asked them, uh, you know, how they felt about their Indian identity. 95% said that they were, and I quote, very proud to be Indian. Now, you can't get 90, if you're in the polling business, you can't get 95% for peaches and cream. It's an almost unseen number. And 70% of those, 70% of Punjabi Sikhs, said that anyone who disrespects India cannot be a Sikh. They didn't even yep. consider them pro pro proper Sikhs. So it gives you a sense. You can question these numbers if you like, but it gives you a sense that, that the whole idea is going absolutely nowhere with the vast majority of the world Sikhs. And this is, this is not understood in the West very clearly, where you know, the story is, you know, we're an oppressed minority that is suffering constant genocide. Well, Bleeding heart syndrome, Terry. That's what that is. Bleeding heart syndrome. They hook yeah, you in, maybe. and the you know the privileged elite liberals want to help the third world, and they think that oh look here these poor people, um, you know let us help them and so forth. And I think that's the mentality that we're dealing with here. They they just don't look uh, deeper than the skin surface and check the facts. So there's people like you, Terry, who know much more about this than probably most people, 99, let's use that word, 99 or 95% of people in Canada, they've probably forgotten uh, about the Kanishka bombing. Yeah, I'm afraid you're right about that. There was a poll recently which showed absolutely shocking level of complete ignorance about the deadliest terrorist attack ever in the history of Canada and the worst in the world until 9-11. Uh, people don't know about it uh, in canada remember it's bad news this does not reflect well on canada canada failed to stop the bombing when had this surface under surveillance then canada failed again to a minute to give the victim size a due measure of justice after the bombing went off so we don't like to tell this story and the last thing most canadians want to hear is another air india story from the likes of Terry Malewski. They've heard it, they don't want to dwell on it. 
they like their ignorance, I think. Uh, they, they, they like not knowing much about this. But the levels that this poll found of ignorance about it were quite shocking. I mean, there, there, were, uh, there was a majority of people who knew absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, it's sad. And, and that's the sad part because um, that's what the Khalistanis rely on, ignorance. Um, uh, a low, low intelligence discourse, that is the Khalistan discourse, can only survive on ignorance of people around them. And it's it's sad. But hey, you know what? We've come to the end, Sarah. Is, is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap things up? I just want to say it's bonkers, isn't it, Terry? I mean, that was the most hilarious headline I've ever read. Um, bonkers Khalistan protest at Indian consulate, and we're going to have another bonkers protest coming up. But I did notice that there were Khalist uh, sorry, Indian uh, counter-protesters in Canada, and they were standing behind, like the police yeah. had got them on separate sides of the road. So yeah. is this? are we seeing some pushback? Yes, it's it's a hopeful sign. Let's let's end on a hopeful sign. Why not? Um, throughout the last few decades that I've been following this, I originally went to the the crash site of Air India on the day that it was blown up in, in uh, off the Irish coast, and it stayed with me ever since. And during most of that time, thirty eight years now, uh, the uh, uh, other communities in the Indian diaspora notably the Hindu community, which, as I said, is is larger, not by a great amount, but larger than the number of six, have been very, very quiet. Didn't want to get involved in politics, didn't want to fight with these people, don't, don't want to be intimidated or harassed, want to get on with their lives, uh, uh, want to be successful immigrants, integrate into Canadian society and leave all that behind. And uh, they, they've let the uh, separatists, the Khalistanis, have the field to themselves. Well, that seems to be ending. They're getting together now. They're organizing now. They want me to come to their annual vino in Toronto. They are uh, on Twitter. They're making, they're fighting back. And I don't mean fight fighting. I mean, they're writing. They're making their voices heard. And that is a, an excellent development. Uh, and it will reveal to Canadians, I hope, that there's another way of looking at this. Good. And they need to get the publicity. See, um, I'm just going to um, just make one point, And I think that everybody has uh, not read the Punjab, um, what is it called? The Punjab Referendum Commission on yes. their website. It says, what do we want? Uh, we want publicity. Uh, because we want to raise the profile of this movement and uh, other referendums don't work because they don't get publicity and the more publicity they get the better so you know if they want to play that game then people other people can ride on that publicity and put their positive messaging out and let people know uh, what this is all about so if there's publicity on one side then people need to be trained uh, to speak in Western language so that the white people in these countries wake up and realise that this is not just going to harm the minorities of their country, it's going to leech out and harm them in the long run because uh, unless they feel the, the, unless they feel the burn, uh, I don't see them springing into action. 
absolutely and i think um, maybe that's when they will realize when <laughs> it does come to their backyard and maybe then they will realize unfortunately it should not happen that way but uh, you can hold the canadian and australian and british and american uh, politicians responsible for that if they don't act well what do you do but we'll wrap it up over there uh, once again terry sarah thank you very much for coming uh, you, you guys are doing a thank fantastic you. job and i wish you nothing but the best okay good thanks. to talk to you thanks thanks guys all right thank you. guys we will wrap Pleasure. today's discussion we will wrap today's discussion up so you can follow terry on social media you can follow sarah on social media uh terry has a book you can go and buy the book too sarah also runs uh, hindu human rights australia you can follow that uh, and you can uh, if you are in australia i know i do have a listener base in australia too now and i'll be visiting australia next year when india visits australia india visits australia for a cricket tour i want to go and see a cricket match in the melbourne cricket stadium that is one of my dreams in my life but anyways uh, i'll wrap things up today uh, please support the charvak podcast like this video subscribe to the charvak podcast youtube channel if you can please become a member of this podcast this is a member driven podcast so you can become a member on youtube or on patreon or on fanmo or you can buy the charvak podcast merchandise on kushalmehra.com or on kadak merch by going to their website or you can send your donations to upi i will see you guys next time until then namaste take care bye